you're traveling through another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A journey into a wondrous show whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the RSS feed up ahead. Your next stop, Anthology. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series, one episode at a time. I also cover modern anthology science fiction shows, such as Black Mirror, uh, Jordan Peele's uh, Twilight Zone reboot, and more in bonus episode review series. You can find more of Anthology as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. Today on the show, I'll be discussing The Prime Mover. It's the 21st episode of The Twilight Zone's second season, and it originally aired on March 24th, 1961. And rounding out the episode, as I have been the last couple of episodes, um, I will be uh, round out the show with a brief review of Science Fiction Theater uh, Season 1, Episode 3, No Food for Thought. Um, yeah, I'm still kind of... <laughs> I'm Still kind of determining whether or not I want to commit to a full science fiction theater bonus review series in tandem with the original Twilight Zone. Um, still on the fence about it. I did realize that if I do that, um, basically my, my kind of roadmap for that is I'll couple I'll, I'll review an episode of science fiction theater after or with every original Twilight Zone episode review. Um, but my thought is since there is, I think 78 science fiction theater episodes, what I think I might do if I do commit to it, to the full one, like I said, I'm giving myself until the end of season two of the twilight zone to really determine whether or not I want to commit to it. But anyway, um, if I do commit to it, then I would be able to finish science fiction theater, um, like one or two episodes before finishing out the entire, like the entire original series of the twilight zone. Um, but only if I skip, uh, or uh, only if I, if I don't do bonus reviews during season four of the twilight zone, which I think would make sense since season four is all hour long episodes, but I might have something kind of fun, uh, when it, eventually comes to that, uh, that I'll do instead of doing science fiction theater. But anyway, that's all conjecture. That's all, that's all up in the air. We'll see how it goes. Um, after I finish out season two of the twilight zone. Um, so yeah, before I get into the episode proper, uh, <laughs> um, there's, a, I have it listed in my notes under news. It's not news. It's just something that's, uh, I'm vain about, and it's my vanity. But anyway, um, uh, something kind of cool happened. I was browsing the Twilight Zone subreddit, and I uh, w- uh, I saw the podcast mentioned just in passing in a comment on a Reddit thread on the Twilight Zone subreddit. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like someone, uh, a user on there, I didn't mark down their username and I don't want to uh, quote unquote, put them on blast or anything. But anyway, it was an, it was just a nice passing comment. They said that the only, uh, uh, that basically anthology is the only Twilight Zone podcast that they currently listen to. So if you're the one that commented that on Reddit, thank you. And uh, yeah, uh, 
I hope you enjoy the show. So, um, yeah, let's dive right into my review of the Prime Mover. Um, I am going to go ahead and uh, read a plot description from uh, courtesy of The Twilight Zone, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grahams Jr., and just to be, just be forewarned that, of course, as always, I will be spoiling this entire episode of The Twilight Zone. So if you haven't uh, seen this episode, go check it out on any streaming service because it's available anywhere. Um, and then come back and listen to the episode. So here we go. The plot summary according to Twilight Zone, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic. Ace Larson, co-owner and operator of a roadside diner, pushes a losing streak that no rabbit's foot can can cure (laughs) when a serious auto accident outside the diner forces Jimbo Cobb to use his brain power and push the wrecked car off live electric wires. Ace discovers his partner possesses a rare gift of moving objects no matter how large or small. Jimbo has kept this power a secret and prefers not to use it unless necessary. Ace gets a brainstorm and convinces his girlfriend Kitty and Jimbo to travel to Las Vegas. Using his talent to ensure the roulette wheel and dice games land to their liking, Jimbo gives Ace the edge he needs to win $200,000 within a few hours. When his expectations run too high, Kitty leaves to return home. The next afternoon, Ace arranges to wager all his winnings with a high, with a high shot Chicago gangster. After or before the afternoon is over, Jimbo runs out of steam, causing Ace to lose every dollar. Back at the roadside diner, Ace confesses that his love for Kitty is worth more than all the money in Vegas and proposes marriage. She accepts, knowing full well that Ace has learned his lesson. As for Jimbo, he still has his talent. He just wanted Ace to get back home to Kitty. Okay, so talent rundown for the Prime Mover. This episode stars Dane Clark as Ace Larson. This was his only episode of The Twilight Zone. However, he would go on to appear in an episode of Night Gallery in 1971 uh, titled Spectre in Tap Shoes. Uh, he also appeared in two episodes of Science Fiction Theater, um, both in 1955. Uh, those episodes are The Negative Man and Before the Beginning. So if I commit to uh, this uh, bonus review series, we'll be talking about uh, Dane Clark. Uh, And I'm excited at that prospect because he was fantastic in this episode. Um, Also, piece of trivia about Dane Clark. uh, In an interview, he said that he and Ida Lupino, who, of course, was in 16mm Shrine and directed The Masks, he said that they fell in love and became engaged while shooting uh, Deep Valley, a, 19, a 1947 movie. Uh, she took him home to meet her family, and he said that he had such an adverse reaction to them, calling them, quote, leeches and freeloaders, that he called off the wedding. Um, I didn't go into depth to, to kind of corroborate that, so it's just a piece of trivia on IMDb, but um, kind of interesting and a kind of really bizarre and... Uh, um, I guess a disappointing connection to the Twilight Zone. Um, yeah, so co-starring as Jimbo Cobb is Buddy Ebsen. Um, I don't remember if I mentioned that Dane 
Dan Clark played Ace Larson. Um, but anyway, Buddy Epson plays Jimbo Cobb. This was also his only episode of The Twilight Zone. Uh, he would also, uh, much like Dane Clark, go on to appear in a night gallery segment. Uh, his segment was in 1971, titled The Waiting Room. He was also known for his role in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, and he was probably best known for his roles in The Beverly Hillbillies in the 1960s and as the title character in Barnaby Jones in the 1970s. And rounding or not rounding out the cast, but um, next up in the cast is uh, Christine White as Kitty Cavanaugh. This is her first of two Twilight Zones. She plays, uh, I believe she plays Shatner's wife in season five's iconic Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Um, I at least assume she plays his wife, like kind of obviously the whole concept of this podcast is I'm going in blind. So we'll see. Um, we'll see in quite a while because that's in season five. Um, she also appeared in an episode of One Step Beyond to kind of tie it into sci-fi anthology shows of the of the era. Uh, her episode of One Step Beyond was in 1960 and it was titled The Haunting. And rounding out the cast as Big Phil Nolan, the Chicago gangster, is Nesden Booth. Uh, this is actually his second of two Twilight Zone episodes. He previously played the guard in Escape Clause way back in the early days of season one. Um, I don't really have any other like notes or anything about him, except that he actually ended up uh, dying about four years after this episode aired um, of a heart attack. So he didn't really have like any other... Uh, um, acting credits or um that were relevant to this episode i guess uh writer for this episode was charles beaumont this is his seven of 22 episodes um and it's interesting because we're in we're in a string of beaumont episodes uh the his previous episode was last time uh static and the next one it will be the next episode that we review uh long distance call so that's kind of interesting how that kind of shaped out uh, director for this episode was Richard L. Bear. This is his fourth of seven episodes. Previously, he directed Nick of Time. And next, uh, we'll see from him is next season, I believe, uh, To Serve Man, which is, To Serve Man is like one of those episodes, like those iconic episodes that I would say of the episodes I'm aware of, uh, just from being like a person who has lived um, <laughs> uh, in had my ear to the ground to pop culture for, you know, most of my life. Um, I would say that to serve man is perhaps the episode that I'm most looking forward to watching in this entire, like podcast for this entire podcast. Um, I'm just really excited about it. I think that harkens back to, uh, my love of the Simpsons and in one of the early Treehouse of horror episodes, they, uh, parodied it, um, very well. So I'm really looking forward to, to, uh, watching to serve man. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, I'll go into my, uh, review of the prime mover. Once again, I'm going to be spoiling the episode. So please, if you haven't seen it, go check it out and come back and listen to my review. Um, uh, before I get into my actual review, uh, as is customary, I'm going to go ahead and talk about what I knew about the episode before going into it. And it was one of, uh, before like watching this for the first time, it was another one of those episodes where I know the name, but literally nothing else about it. And I kind of thought that it was some kind of futuristic totalitarian government story. Um, but I might've conflated that with what I know about the obsolete man later this season. So I think that that's where I got that kind of confusion there. And 
with the title the prime mover i know that that i know that like the terminology of the prime mover is something mechanical or something uh i don't know exactly what it, what it is but um reading that title not knowing that kind of context for what a prime mover is i kind of wondered if it was about a character who worked in sales <laughs> like they are the prime mover of a particular type of merchandise um and then also the word prime made me think of math and i that's all I have for my notes on that. Um, so basically, as you can tell, I had no idea what I was getting into when I watched this episode. Um, so yeah, those are my, those are my thoughts before I, before I watched the episode. Okay. So yeah, to go into my actual review of the prime mover, uh, it opens on a shot of the happy days cafe. Um, which as far as, uh, names of like, things, things from the twilight zone and everything. Um, I, I, I'm not familiar with like happy days cafe as like a point of reference for people that are fans of the twilight zone. Like, I don't know if there's any like merchandise about it or anything. Um, but I could see, I, I don't think the new twilight zone series has, has, uh, referenced it or not, but I could see them easily referencing it. Um, so it opens up with, it opens with Ace talking to the one armed bandit, the slot machine, which is the same, um, slot machine from the fever. Although according to unlocking the door to television classic, I think the props, uh, notes that he, that he poured over when compiling the book confirmed that it's not the exact same one armed, one armed bandit that was used in the filming of the fever, but it's the same type of, of, slot machine. So it's a really interesting way to bring us into the episode because Ace is talking directly to it. He's like talking to it as if it, as if it's like his, his girlfriend or like a sweetheart or anything. And he's like saying like, I've, I've fed you. I've, I've given you what you needed. Why don't you please give me what I need now? Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of in stark contrast to, uh, Franklin in the fever. So, Ace here is, he's like smooth talking a slot machine and it's silly, but he's very animated about it. And it's like, it's, it's kind of hinting at like, okay, well, this is the introduction of this character and he does have a gambling problem, but it's, it's more like, uh, just pleasantries. Like it's more, it's more pleasant, um, than anything. And that kind of, I think that that is a really good way to establish the tone that the episode is going to carry through throughout the rest of the runtime, because we already had the, um, compulsive gambling, um, somewhat addictive kind of, re uh, storyline in the fever. This is more of a, um, character that is kind of overcome by his hubris and his, his, his want for a better life. And it's just, I, it's an interesting contrast to, to the fever and I'll get more into detail as I go, as I progress through this review. Um, but first, like, um, immediately my first, um, reaction to this episode is after going through, after, after watching static so many times, static being one of the videotaped episodes, um, I was just so thankful to get back to a filmed episode because, got the picture in this, in this episode, it looks so gorgeous. Um, it's just, it's just so, so beautiful. And I, I was so happy to get back to that. Um, and spoiler for my review of long distance call next time, but, um, 
that like was a was a was a good looking videotaped episode and i don't know what the deal was with static because static just looked terrible like i don't know if maybe they didn't have the um the source materials when like they were upgrading it for uh, blu-ray and everything because it just looked it just looked very aged and um i think that that kind of maybe contributed to some of my um issues with the episode or the experience of watching the episode at least. So getting back to the prime mover, Ace uh, is um, upset because uh, the slot machine does not pay out for him. And he, uh, he had, like, he has a customer who is basically telling him like, why don't you just give it up or whatever? And then Ace offers to flip, flip a coin uh, with the patron and like kind of, uh, if he loses, then the, uh, food is on the house. Uh, the patron, uh, wins, um, the customer wins and uses the quarter to, uh, use on the slot machine and, uh, wins the jackpot. And I love that he, he takes a, he takes a quarter from the winnings and just like puts it in Ace's pocket and and he's like, here's your quarter back. Um, I thought that was, that was kind of, kind of funny um so this scene just establishes that ace uh works in the in the uh cafe in the roadside diner um it's kind of revealed later um or as the it's it's more implied and revealed throughout the episode that he is the owner of the of the place and i believe that it's stated that ace and jimbo kind of own the place together um, or our co-owners. And as, as stated in the plot summary from unlocking the door to a television classic, that's kind of the, the idea. So basically the, the diner consists of Ace and Jimbo. They co-own the place. Jimbo looks to be, uh, kind of the, um, the cook slash kind of janitorial guy. Um, and, there's Kitty who is kind of a waitress in, in the establishment. And, so it's shown like once Kitty goes home, she, like she she has this kind of quip about how she can't quit the job because Ace owes her three months of 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 her salary, uh, which I, I like the kind of playfulness of that of that dialogue. Um, but when she leaves, Jimbo asks Ace, he's like, "Hey, when are you guys going to get married?" Uh, kind of establishing that they're in a relationship. Ace and Kitty are. And what I loved about this 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 line is something that honestly I missed the first time I watched it. Um, it wasn't until subsequent viewings that I caught it, but Jimbo offers to give them money so that they can get married. Like, like Jimbo asks, um, when are you guys going to get married? And then Ace is like, well, she deserves, she deserves the world and I can't provide that to her. So, and I don't, I don't have the money for it. And then Jimbo just says super earnestly, he says, I have a little money saved up and you guys can use that and and everything and i just in that moment i just i love jimbo as a character like that character is so just good natured um and it establishes it like that line itself establishes the kindness of the character and his love for ace and kitty like throughout the episode i i love that that's his that's his kind of arc is that he he just loves his friends and there's no jealousy there's no conflict just genuine care for the well-being of the people that he's closest to and ace and meaning ace and kitty and i just i love that that's such a genuinely like good character um 
de- design. Like he doesn't have like like that's maybe his character flaw is that he is too um he's too genuine or too caring for his friends and that causes like he's able to be susceptible to some light um not manipulation but uh he's able to accept um ace kind of using him for for personal gain um for a while so i just i just love that line and how it establishes jimbo as a character so Immediately after that, we get the car wreck um, outside the cafe. And like my immediate thought was like, wow, that looks beautiful. Like it's like it's an it's an incredible effect shot. And um, I was really curious how they managed to pull that off because it looks great. And I know that in the past they've kind of sped up the film to get the desired effect. I was thinking of like uh, the scene in a passage for trumpet. Um, but this didn't look sped up at all. And it looked like a natural stunt. And I was very impressed by it. Turns out that it was footage from a 1958 movie called thunder road. That was, um, kind of repurposed for, for this episode of the twilight zone. Um, but I will say that like, I wasn't disappointed to learn that or anything. Cause it's still an impressive shot. Um, and I do want to point out that the set design for, for this episode of the Twilight Zone, specifically in that sequence, like the follow-up sequence, um, is really impressive. Like, it matches the footage really well. Like, it matches, um, where the car ends up in the, in the shot from Thunder Road. Um, it's just a, it looks like a really good recreation of that place. Um, and just, it was really impressive set design in that. So, um, Jimbo and Ace run out to, to, you know, help the people in the car. And, um, like they had crashed into like a power transformer or something and the electricity is like just popping and, and whirring and everything. Um, and that makes the entire situation just outright terrifying, honestly. And what I loved about, like, I, I was so, um, surprised by this scene because, the episode kind of subverted expectations here for me at least. So the electricity, um, like the, the threat of the electricity after establishing a down on his luck main character, um, it could be reasonably expected that he would gain some sort of power in that scene. And I really thought that that's what the episode was going to be about because at that point we don't know anything about Jimbo's powers or anything. Um, so I was like, okay, here we go. The twilight zone, the twilight zone is going to give him some power. Um, and I, in like couple that with the, um, the kind of, uh, the line, uh, just a few minutes ago in the episode where Ace says, uh, where like Jim- Jimbo tries to reassure Ace and says that maybe his luck will change. And Ace says, maybe I'll get electrocuted. Um, and then, then they're in a c- scenario where electricity is flying everywhere and it's, it's dangerous. Um, and, and to my complete surprise, um, it's revealed that the cook or that, that Jimbo is able to move the car with his mind. And I thought that was so clever and interesting because up until this point, we have been following Ace. He's the main character, and he's going to, like, like he is down on his luck because he is he's a gambler who can't catch a break. And I really thought that it was going to be that he was going to be given some kind of skill or fortune. But instead, Jimbo has this power that he's had forever, and this is just the reveal of that to Ace. And I just thought that that was really clever um, storytelling. Um, because I, I was so just surprised by it and so pleasantly surprised by it. 
So after that, we get Serling's narration, and I'm going to go ahead and play the narration here um, in the episode. So here is uh, uh, Serling's narration. Portrait of a man who thinks and thereby gets things done. Mr. Jimbo Cobb might be called a prime mover, a talent which has to be seen to be believed. In just a moment, he'll show his friends and you how he keeps both feet on the ground and his head in the twilight zone. And I really like this narration because it's it's succinct, it's straight to the point, it has that just kind of beautiful wording that Serling is so, so good at. Um, although, and I, I think I may have mentioned this before, um, but I, I really wonder... Um, did did Serling write the opening and closing narrations for every episode, or did he only write the the narrations for the episodes that he wrote? And granted, he did write like ninety percent of the scripts, but like since this is a Charles Beaumont script, I wonder did he write the narration and and Serling just performed it, um, or is it something that Serling control of. Maybe I'll research that a little bit or try to research it a little bit um, and get a definitive answer someday. But um, yeah, so anyway, if if Beaumont wrote it, he did a great job for the narration because it's very succinct and it has that just Twilight Zone, uh, I, I, want, I almost said patter, but that sounds almost a uh, almost, uh, diminutive of it. But it has just that, that Twilight Zone twinkle there. I guess that's a better word. Um, so anyway, um, so I didn't see that coming. And I thought at this point, I thought that the episode was going to switch the main protagonist. I thought that we were going to follow Jimbo, um, specifically, but it turned out that he wasn't the main character. He was still, you know, um, kind of a supporting character for Ace's storyline, but I love how the show just established their whole, whole dynamic. Um, even though, like, I, I kind of thought, like, okay, is Ace going to ex- try to exploit Jimbo? I mean, that's kind of the the way it ends up, but I'll get more into that in a little bit. But I really love how they, it established their whole dynamic. So Jimbo and Ace are friends. I think they live together is the implication here. And the way that Jimbo explains his power to Ace makes him sound, like, kind of the slightest bit, like, simple-minded, just just a little bit. And it kind of made me think, and granted, I haven't, like, read this um, since, like, high school um, or seen seen the movies, but um, it reminded me a little bit of the dynamic between George and Lenny in Of Mice and Men. And I kind of thought, like, okay, is, is Jimbo going to be, like, the Lenny of this, and is it going to be, uh, like, is that how it's going to play out, like, that kind of, kind of arc? But, um... But yeah, it ended up kind of not really turning out that way um, from my perspective. But I do want to say that uh, Dane Clark in the scene uh, when he's talking to uh, Jimbo, I kind of just got this um, kind of this is a kind of superfluous kind of um, observation. But I really got like a vibe off of just like the the look of Ace and like the like his the way he speaks. Um, the way that Dane Clark speaks, but I got really a, a vibe of a younger Jack Klugman. Um, like I, I thought that it, the, there was a, a bit of a resemblance to like a young Jack Klugman, um, look to Dane Clark. And that, like, that made me kind of wish that Dane Clark did more, uh, Twilight Zone episodes because I, I loved, I, I really liked his performance in this episode. And, uh, also kind of going with this superfluous observation, um, string that I'm running here, uh, when 
when Ace gets more animated and behaves like he might hit something, like when he, um, like, like when he is, um, kind of annoyed that Jimbo kept the secret from him, um, which I'll get to in a second, but, uh, he's like, he's like kind of like almost threatening to punch him, but like he kicks the door instead. Anyway, like when he's doing like that, when he's behaving that way in the episode, he just reminded me very vaguely of James Caan. Um, so again, that's just a pointless observation. Um, the power gives Jimbo a headache and I really like that kind of wrinkle to it, that, that complication to, um, the, the story and the, uh, the premise of, of this, uh, story, because <laughs> uh, it affects his personal health and Ace, like it, it's clearly like affecting him. Like he's clearly like in pain. Um, he mentions like, Oh, it gives me a headache. Like now I have a headache. Um, and then Ace is immediately like, uh, can you do it again right now? Dance for me, monkey, please. Um, and immediately like, this is immediately after Jimbo tells him that he has a headache from it and is in obvious pain and exhaustion. And that's just establishing that Ace is very self-serving, self-centered. And he is, he's, He's so consumed by this uh, desire to win and to, and to get ahead of everything and make a make I guess make a name for himself uh, would be the implication that he is willing to sacrifice Jimbo's well being um, to do that. So that's kind of the implication here, and it's it's danced around a little bit um, uh, throughout the episode. But I think that what we got for the um, in in the episode, it's a it's a lot more complex than than that. So I, I appreciate uh, Beaumont's writing for that. So anyway, um, I found it interesting that Ace's reaction to finding out about Jimbo's power and the fact that he can flip quarters and manipulate dice is frustration. Like Ace is frustrated that they could have. Uh, he says we could have been living like kings this whole time. And it's not like he, he didn't react with excitement for the possibilities that this presents now. It's like he is, he's in a rut and he has been, uh, he's instead of like dealing with this like incredible power that he is adjacent to, he is kicking himself and metaphorically kicking his friend for holding out on him because it could have been, you know, it could, they could have been in a better, uh, improve like they could have better improved their station in life this whole time and i think that that is kind of an interesting um uh depiction of ace's mental well-being i guess because he is someone who like okay if if you found out that you had like an in to get this to get like tons of money um you would be excited about it i would think but he is choosing to um think about the past and like how, how he could have been, it's kind of a misery, misery loves company kind of thing. Like he is, he's just kind of living in this kind of somewhat miserable state. So anyway, he calls Kitty and they make arrangements to go on a shore trip. Um, and they go to Vegas and I just want to say, I love Vegas. Like it's awesome. I've been there a few times and, um, it's a lot of fun, but I just, I love, and I love seeing Vegas, even if it's just an establishing shot, um, of like all the neon signs and everything. It's still, it's still kind of a treat when it pops up in, in, uh, media that I watch. So Ace and Kitty and Jimbo are in Vegas. They're at the casino and Ace is just obsessed with winning. And 
like they they're winning like continuously every time cuz cuz Jimbo's there to manipulate things and Kitty tries to tell Ace that to like tries to get him to quit while he's he's ahead and Ace's reaction is just to scoff and say that he and Jimbo have worked out a system um which this is this is interesting to me first of all um <laughs> I think it's funny that he's just like he's so um he's he's so I guess in his own world that like he's uh he's <laughs> like he's just like yelling like as a very loud mouth he's like uh he's just announcing that he and Jimbo ha- Jimbo have a system it's like there are people around you like you know people you know like casinos like they don't mess around like if if they think you're cheating they they could you know uh kick you out or whatever but anyway so what happened like what happened with my mindset when watching this part of the episode is I kind of put myself into this scenario like I like that like the premise of this episode is that there's very little risk involved like obviously these days as I said casinos are heavily monitored but if someone's on a hot streak in a game of chance that's involving die and and the roulette wheel um, it wouldn't arouse nearly as much suspicion as, say, counting cards and blackjack. And um, I don't know. I just kind of put myself into that uh, scenario. Like, would I be able to stop? Um, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second because there's some other stuff I want to kind of get through here. But um, I'll put a pin in that. So Jimbo tells him that he that Ace has to quit because his head is killing him. And at this moment, like, okay – we're at a we're at kind of a kind of a a fork in the road for this story because at this point Ace is obviously using Jimbo as as a, a source of winning to to get like uh to to improve Ace's um livelihood and everything, but Jimbo tells him that he has to quit because his head is killing him. And like at this point, the the fork in the road is like Ace can either be just a complete, like insensitive person who is who is using his friend for his own personal gain, or he can be compassionate. And what I love about this episode is that he is compassionate. He has he like Ace is a very human character. He's like, okay, I understand. Um, let's get you let's get you some rest and everything. Um, let's call it a night and cash in the chips. So, uh, they get into like a big suite in the hotel and I just, I love the wide shot of the room. It kind of vaguely reminded me of a nice place to visit, which kind of has some similar, um, um, uh, similar themes and situations as this episode. But, um, I just, I love the wide shot of it because you don't like with these kind of like, like the diner set, obviously it's not a big diner or anything but like you don't get a lot of wide shots when you have like these indoor scenes and i just i love the wide shot of the of the big suite that they're in so um it's very clear that ace's compulsive gambling is becoming a drain on his friend and i think that that's an interesting kind of metaphor like this uh like if you're a self-serving person or if you have like an addictive an, an addiction of some kind um, that is going to be a drain on the people that are closest to you. And I just, I, I like that as a concept for the Twilight Zone and, uh, as a, as a vessel for the story that's being told in this episode. And 
what I found interesting is that for all of the goodwill that I talked about ace like immediately being like okay shut it down let's let's get you back to the room and and get you to get you uh get you like you know to relax and everything and help your head um for all that goodwill um ace immediately tries to make him get up so that they can go out on the town and it was a bit incongruous to the previous scene where he cashes in the chips and tells tells jimbo to get some rest but I think maybe it's also intentionally incongruous to fit that theme that I mentioned about how Ace is Ace is a drain on his friend, um, literally and and figuratively. Um, and I just I like I didn't have a problem with it. I just thought that that was an interesting kind of uh, series of of scenes in in a short succession that almost seemed like they're contradicting contradicting each other but also fits the theme of the episode fairly well and i found it really interesting that jimbo at this moment is morally objecting to what they're doing like he says like it's wrong to do this and everything and ace is just like i okay we can can we do it just one more time and i like the the kind of complexity brought to ace's um, dialogue with, with Jimbo here, because it's like, he is like, they're, they're, uh, presumably best friends, like they're business partners and they're, they're closest friends. And it's like, even though Ace is being consumed by this compulsive need to win in, in wanting to get as much as he can out of this newfound power, even at the expense of his friend's well being, he still wants to, like, he still lets, like he still has that moment where he's like, is it okay to do it one more time? Like, can you do it one more time? Are we okay with that? Like he's, he's going to the trouble of being like, like giving him, uh, giving Jimbo a say into whether or not they're doing it. So he's not fully taking advantage of his friend or he's not fully like out of his mind with this, with greed and everything because he still gives Jimbo an out. Now in this scenario, like if, like if he if Jimbo were to give him some pushback, I'm sure that Ace would have probably pressed him on it and saying like, no, just do it one more time and everything. But as it's written in the scene, I just like that there's that that little added line of dialogue where Ace confirms that Jimbo's okay with doing it one more time. Um, I just think that that is a it goes a really long way to show the um, human side of Ace as he's being kind of um, romanticized into. Um, or he's being, he's being kind of, um, I don't know what word I'm trying to think of, but he's trying to be persuaded into this, into this greedy lifestyle that he's, that he's pursuing. Um, so Kitty gives him some pushback here and she's like, she's pleading with him. Like, can we just go home? You've made enough money to last you the rest of your life. And he uh, Ace says like, well, living well enough isn't good enough for, for me. And by tomorrow I'll have enough to own the state. And the look that Jimbo gives him when, when he says that makes me think that Jimbo made, made me think that Jimbo was going to get, uh, was going to kind of purposely like cause Ace to lose all of his winnings at that moment. Um, and that's kind of what happened, but it, it didn't happen the way that I expected it to. I actually much prefer the way that it happened in the episode than what my, uh, brain could conjure up. But anyway, I'll get to that in a bit. So I just, at this moment, I, I found, I, I found myself wondering, like, this is an interesting moral, like hypothetical. Like if I had a foolproof way 
to hit it big with very limited risk. Um, and of course, I host three podcasts, so obviously I'm just waiting to become a millionaire doing that. Um, but check out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, anyway, um, like if I had a foolproof way to hit it big with very limited risk as established before that, you know, it's, it's games of chance that they're not counting cards. They're not really like, it's not, they're stealing from the casino in a sense, but it's, it's not like they're stealing from like, like people, like citizens. They're not, they're not stealing money from citizens. They're just, uh, they're just creating a scenario where they are very fortunate in winning, um, gambling games um <laughs> uh which is gambling games i don't anyway um so like the question that i found myself asking myself was would i be able to stop at two hundred thousand dollars like would i have that kind of self-control knowing that i am in a sin- situation where there's very limited risk that i will have some kind of um negative come up and uh, happen. And while I was thinking about that, I was like, I wonder how much $200,000 in 1961 equates, uh, to money today. And holy crap. Um, according to the website dollartimes.com, um, adjusted for inflation, $200,000 in 1961 is equal to $1,686,127 and 52 cents in 2019. And, just like the thought of that, like, okay, if I, if I went to Vegas for a night and I was able to manipulate things into which I was able to get a $1.6 million, almost $1.7 million, would I be able to stop at that? Or would I want to have, um, $3.4 million, um, after one, like one last score, um, and I just, I really don't know. Like when you're playing with that amount of money, like that, that amount in this hypothetical, like when you're, when you're playing with that amount of fortune, like it's easy to say like, okay, well, if I had $200,000, I'd be, I'd be in very good shape. Like I would be able to pay off some bills and set aside a lot of money for, uh, just rainy days and like savings, get like a new car and all that, whatever. Um, but if I had like $1.6 million, like, holy like that would be, uh, <laughs> I'd be set for life, obviously. Um, but I think I, th- <laughs> and this is such a stupid reference, but, um, I think back to like the social network, like, you know, what's, you know, what's better than a million dollars, a billion dollars. Um, anyway, uh, so at this point, when he's when he's kind of do like he's he's telling Kitty that he he wants more like he he wants to own the state or he wants enough to own the state and he he says uh, Aceville USA uh, which I thought was kind of again it's like Dane Clark does a really good job of of keeping the character and and also credit goes to to Beaumont for the script but uh, Dane Clark does a good job of making the character um, as as an unsympathetic character, he still has a lot of sympathy in the way that he, uh, presents himself in his demeanor in the episode. So like saying that like, Oh, Aceville USA, like that's kind of cheeky and fun. Um, even though he's talking about, you know, being like being, um, overcome by greed and everything. So Kitty ends up running out and she said that she, she says that she's going home and tells him to look her up when you're through playing little Caesar, which I thought was, was a pretty, pretty funny. 
And here is another really good kind of back and forth between Jimbo and Ace. And it's, it shows, it reinforces that Jimbo cares deeply for his friends and he is also a voice of reason. So he tells Ace that Kitty is worth all the money in the world and he tells, he tells him to go after her. Like, like don't let this, you know, ruin your relationship because, uh, Ace, uh, because Kitty is worth all the money in the world. And, that in the, in that sense, Jimbo is acting as Ace's conscience, and in addition to that, I like that Ace is willing to listen to Jimbo in that moment. Like Ace is, he's a good character deep down. He's just a bit self centered, um, and again, fantastic characterization in the writing by Beaumont and Dane Clark's performance just hits it out of the park. So Ace runs after runs after Kitty, um, but he can't reconcile his love of gambling with Kitty. So Kitty gives him. Uh, somewhat of an ultimatum just saying like, are you going to gamble tomorrow? And then she says, he says yes. And then she leaves. And at this point it's where Ace gets a little bit, um, uh, kind of dances into, into almost irredeemable care, uh, territory almost. I, well, I wouldn't say almost, but anyway, uh, he meets Sheila, the cigarette girl from earlier in the episode. Uh, he hires her for the evening to quote unquote, tear the town apart uh, just reinforcing his self-centeredness and just like the way, like when they're about to leave, he, she's like, let me go change. And he's like, all right, but not much. Don't change much. Cause she's very scantily glad. And as likable as Ace is him hiring Sheila, effectively burning his relationship with Kitty. It's almost too much of a left turn for his character. Cause up until this point, I was still going for, like I was still, I was still with him. Um, even though he is being kind of, uh, drawn into this greedy kind of thing that is that is threatening to destroy his life um so i wouldn't say that him going after sheila is makes him i wouldn't say that it's irredeemable or almost irredeemable but it definitely makes him much less likable and that was something that i I, it's not that i struggled with it but it just felt like it felt a little bit dangerous from a characterization perspective um but Having said that, it's not really that out of character for him either. Like he's gotten a taste for being a big shot and he's playing that role and he's trying to be a big shot. So him trying to paint the town with, with Sheila, this woman that he just met that he is basically, um, bribing to spend time with him. Like it fits cause he wants to be this big shot gambler guy. And so he also tells the casino owner to challenge the biggest gambler in town for tomorrow. And that biggest gambler is Phil Nolan is uh, he's a big shot gambler. He's a gangster as we find out later. And he ends up calling Ace the next morning to set up the, uh, to set up their, their game. And that's when it's revealed that Ace has accumulated $200,000. So, Jimbo is is more growing more and more concerned. He references that Phil Nolan is a gangster and he's just worried about he's just worried for Ace. He's like isn't he like kind of mean? Um and that's not someone that you really want to mess with. And th- at this moment Ace is getting more in in contrast to the earlier scene, like at this moment Ace won't listen to Jimbo's concerns. Um he is just kind of drowning it out. And I thought that was interesting as it's as it's kind of a subtle way to full full uh further develop Ace's kind of descent into this greedy, self centered, uh faux big shot that he had that he's made himself out to be. And 
when Nolan and the gangsters come in and Ace orders room service, that like it's it's a fun um, kind of comic relief there because he has to spell his name for the for the room service people. And I thought that was a really nice touch for this running theme of him wanting to be this big shot, but not being one at all. Like he is, it's almost like he's trying to fit into this archetype that he wants to make for himself but the realization that he's coming to or that he will come to is that he just doesn't he doesn't have what it takes he doesn't fit into that so uh the gangster phil nolan comes in and they they decide to play dice and phil wants to play with his dice specifically and at that moment i really thought that phil was going to have like trick dice and it was going to get uh, he was going to get in, get on to what Ace and Jimbo are doing. Um, but ultimately, I wasn't disappointed that that didn't happen because I feel like if that were the case, it would have led down to a more or uh, led to a less satisfactory ending and a more darker ending. And I feel like this episode up until this point has done a great job of um, creating a, a a premise that pays off with a satisfactory ending that's that's more positive than negative so they're they're gambling and it always makes me okay like this type of story like someone who has this power to um to influence things um to to their liking it kind of harkens back to uh, a most unusual cam camera also but like it always makes me laugh that in these types of stories, when the gamblers uh, or the people that are manipulating things uh, are doing that to get money, like they don't even try to attempt to cover themselves. Like, like they don't even try to make it seem like, uh, like okay, I think of I think of like The Incredibles, the end of The Incredibles when uh, Dash is on the track team and like they have to like. Uh, uh, Mr. Incredible is in the stands, Mr. and Mrs. Incredible. And they're like, okay, you need to, you need to make sure that you, that you, you know, um, you don't go full super powered or anything. Like you have to, you know, pace yourself and everything and make it look like, you know, they have a chance of winning. But like, like, I like that. Like that's, that's something that I like in, in those types of stories. But like, I just, for the most part, it's never that. Like, it's always like, okay, every single roll of the dice, they're going to win. Every single game of roulette is going to be a win. Like, they don't, like, maybe it's just me being, uh, just anxious, like an anxious person. But I'd be like, if I was in that scenario, I'd be like, okay, I'd, you know, I would, I would, you know, play, play it a little. I'd bluff a little bit in a weird sense because, like, I would, like, I'd put up, like, maybe $10,000 and then uh, purposely lose just to kind of keep things going in a sense that, um, just to keep, just to keep the ruse going. Um, another example of that is in 112263, um, the, he goes back in time and he gambles and stuff. And it's always like, it's, he doesn't, he doesn't do anything to like, uh, make it seem like he's not cheating. Um, it's just something that, uh, it's a, I wouldn't even call it a nitpick. It's just something that makes me laugh every, every time. Um, yeah. So anyway, so they're gambling and, uh, Ace is, Ace is just having the time of his life. And then Sheila comes in and he introduces Sheila as, uh, his sweetheart, his good luck charm and all that. And Jimbo sees like sees Ace. And like, that's kind of the turning point for him is when he sees Sheila. Um, cause 
he's deducing that Ace is either cheating on Kitty or has immediately moved on from from Kitty and dumped her outright and moved on. Um, and so that's that's the moment where Jimbo uh, decides that he's just not going to do it anymore. And I I love this because, again, it is so in character for this character up until this point because he truly cares for Ace and Kitty. And it's not that he is, he's not jealous, he's not upset, he's not angry, he's not vindictive, he's not doing this out of revenge or anything. He is, he is, uh, choosing not to manipulate the game specifically so he can save his friend from himself. Um, and just as, as luck would have it, uh, Ace is going all in on this round and, he tries to roll an 11 and I just, the way that ace says 11 is just pretty funny to me like he's like 11 11 11 a lot of fun huh, honey right win a million lose a million just like that right okay 11 is a number ace you got it 11 and this is it ace now don't bother me ace listen i all right 11 11 11 11 and um, I just, I got a kick out of that. Like, I just, I, I like that, that read of the line. It's, it's in keeping with the, the tone of the episode. So, uh, Jimbo doesn't manipulate things after like he, like he makes an effort, like saying like, Hey Ace, I need to tell you something. I need, I need to tell you something. Um, and Ace won't listen to him. So, uh, he rolls a three, loses everything. And then everyone leaves. Sheila leaves. Cause you know, Ace is not rich anymore and uh the gangsters leave and it's just it's a fun there's a fun scene where uh nolan is just telling him like hey you know if you want to do this again i'd be more than happy to you got hard kid but you know if you want to do this again i'd be more than happy because he just made like uh two hundred thousand dollars off of him um and then this at this moment jimbo is he's like i'm sorry i guess i just blew a fuse i i don't know what happened um i tried to tell you and everything and then at this this is another turning point in the episode like ace could be angry he could be just really like he could he as an as an echo of the earlier scene where he discovers uh jimbo's powers like he could have that reaction again. He could have that angry reaction, almost that threatening violence action, uh, reaction where he kicks the door and kind of like almost punches him. Um, and he could have that, but Ace starts laughing and sort of in hysterics. Um, and they start laughing together. And I thought that was an interesting reaction. And I think that it's, my read of that is that it's Ace coming to terms with his gambling problem. And maybe he's laughing because he's instantly realizing how detached the success has made him. And he's re realizing just how, how much of a big shot he is not and how, how like how his, his personality, like it's, it's giving him, um, uh, clarity to realize that, okay, well, um, Kitty is everything. Kitty is worth all the money in the world. And I now realize that because I've lost all the money in the world. Um, it's just, it's an interesting read of that. Like it could, they could have gone more, more drama and made it more, um, had, had another scene where Jimbo acts as Ace's conscience and spell out like the themes of the episode, but they went with this route. And I, I really appreciate the, the writing in this episode for that reason. So we go back to the cafe and Ace is, uh, having the one-armed bandit removed from the cafe. Um, 
and or the diner, I guess would be, I don't know if there's a difference, but, um, and he's trying to reconcile with Kitty and he ends up proposing. She, uh, takes a coin and she gets a coin from, um, from Jimbo and she flips it and, uh, he calls heads and she's like, okay, yes, I'll marry you. And it's super heartwarming. Like it's, it's beautiful. And we're, the episode ends with the three of them in the, in the diner and Jimbo kind of revealing, uh, just to us really that he still has the power, um, in that him losing it in the hotel room in an effort to save Ace from himself was specifically so that he could rescue his friend, um, and I just, I really like the sentiment of that. I think that that's a really, really sweet ending. Um, and I'll go ahead and play uh, Serling's closing narration here. Some people possess talent. Others are possessed by it. When that happens, the talent becomes a curse. Jimbo Cobb knew right from the beginning. But before Ace Larson learned that simple truth, he had to take a short trip through the Twilight Zone. So to kind of round out this review of the prime mover, um, I think that maybe, first of all, again, just to reiterate, I think that's a really sweet ending and a very uplifting and positive ending. And I think that maybe, maybe in watching the new Twilight Zone on CBS All Access and seeing how those episodes, for the most part, have ended in downer or shocking endings, um, I think that having that so fresh in my mind has made me appreciate the prime mover even more because I just felt, I, I feel like maybe subconsciously I was, I was wanting this type of ending. Like I was wanting something positive and uplifting and everything. Um, cause if you listen to my reviews of the new Twilight Zone, like even the one episode that has arguably a more positive, um, ending, uh, also has just, um, some some kind of darker overtones to it um and messages and it's an episode that I loved replay so and then also in addition to that coming off of static which was an episode that had a great ending but more heartbreaking in its message and also being an episode that I honestly wasn't too crazy about I was just floored that this episode didn't mix any bitter with the sweet and it's a really beautiful story that ended perfectly and that ending scene with Ace J Jimbo and Kitty in the diner is just great like it bookends the episode so beautifully since it began with the with the three of them in the diner and they're all relatively unassuming everyday people uh which is what the Twilight Zone in these first two seasons has excelled at creating and I think there's this there's just there's just loads of charm in the way that their lives continue um they continue living their lives pretty normally after going through this whole experience and it ended up enriching their lives in very personal ways instead of instead of uh surface level greed and monetary um uh ways and I just really appreciated that as as storytelling I think that that uh, makes the prime the prime mover in my opinion uh one of the stronger episodes of the Twilight Zone of the episodes of the Twilight Zone that I've uh watched so far. So I just I I don't know. I really loved this episode and I was so happy um I was I was so happy with the way that this episode turned out and everything. So yeah, so that's my review of the Prime Mover. And I'll go ahead and go into some trivia for the episode. Um the slot machine uh, used by the same character, as I said before, is the same one used in the fever. Um, 
which, as I said, in Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic, it said that it's not the exact same one used in that episode, but it is, it is the same the same one-armed bandit, um, the same design and everything. And also, I noticed that this episode shares some similarities, or the 2002 Twilight Zone episode, Rewind, shares simu- similarities to this episode um, in some unique ways. Like in that episode, Eddie K. Thomas has a tape recorder that he can rewind up to five minutes of time, and he's a compulsive gambler, and he uses that to his advantage. And I think that that's why I thought that this uh, this episode ending was going to involve the gangsters kind of um tricking uh ace or or getting wise to ace because i thought that maybe nolan's dice was was trick dice um because a similar type of thing happens at the end of rewind and i think that that episode of the twilight zone from 2002 is available on youtube so check that out if you want to it's okay um and it also is uh, obviously owes a lot to, um, a most unusual camera as well. Um, as I said, during the review, the crash scene, uh, from the auto accident scene is from, uh, footage used in Thunder Road from 1958. Uh, there was a climactic last scene where Robert Mitchum's character's, uh, uh, car crashes while trying to elude the law. Um, also, um, there's an episode of Avatar The Last Airbender um, that uh, kind of uses this type of story, like uh, a character and it uses um, telekinetics to manipulate dice and other gambling instruments. Um, or, uh, or I'm sorry, uses like earthbending or whatever. I, I didn't watch Avatar The Last Airbender, but I have an idea of what it is. So anyway... Um, and the way that it's designed is she uses her, the character uses the same kind of uh, gesture of her ha- head tipping sideways um, that uh, that Jimbo uses in this episode. And then also, and I, I couldn't find if this was confirmed um, or not, like uh, if it was confirmed, but um, somewhat spoilers for Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi – but at the end of that movie, there is a shot of a uh, of a stable boy on the casino planet who telekinetically or uses the force to pick up a broom, and it's very like it's it's kind of um, in homage to the final scene of this episode with Jimbo picking up the broom with his with his power. Um, I just thought that that, that was cool, like because I I didn't I had no like I love that scene in the Last Jedi, and it's just cool to see like even though I'm not a big Star Wars fan, it's cool to see that like Ryan Johnson used uh or consciously or unconsciously consciously paid homage to the Twilight Zone. Um I just I I love that. And it just um yeah, it's uh, I was kind of charmed by that. And uh also to to kind of pay off what I uh haphazardly talked about <laughs> the meaning behind the uh, the word, the, uh, the term, the prime mover, but, uh, the title, according to trivia, uh, the title refers to the propulsion unit for a transportation system, such as a locomotive or on a train, the tractor unit of a semi-tractor trailer, uh, the motor on a locomotive or a railroad engine or et cetera, et cetera. Also in philosophy, um, the prime mover is, uh, is a concept of a self-caused being that is the cause of all things. Um, so I thought that was uh, kind of interesting. Um, and that's my review of the prime mover. It's God, it is 1am. I need to stop doing these recordings right um, at night. Um, but 
uh, to round out this episode, I'm going to go ahead and uh, briefly review Science Fiction Theater Season 1, Episode 3, No Food for Thought. And uh, you should be hearing the theme music now. So I'm not going to spoil this episode. And it is available on YouTube. I ha- I'll have a link in the show notes of this episode. Um, so No Food for Thought originally aired April 23rd, 1955. And kind of curiously, um, the uh, the episode, like, list on imdb lists it as like episodes like five or six um but going off of um basically the dvd i'm i'm going to go ahead and say that it's the third episode um an interesting twilight zone connection is that vera miles appears in this episode as dr jan Corey. um she obviously was in uh mirror image in season one of the twilight zone so this episode of uh, science fiction theater deals with kind of scientists who have developed um, a means to get human beings to have um, the nutrients needed without having to eat food. Um, and as as always with science fiction theater, it's introduced by Truman Bradley, and he is introducing it as like uh, using demonstrations. Um, in kind of uh, visual aids to talk about the concepts of the episode. So in this, in his demonstration in this episode, um, he kind of showcases an entire day's worth of food. And he starts talking about how science could potentially produce chemicals and pills to replace food. And the example that he uses is that, um, I don't actually know how he connected that, but um, the plant life and how a plant can have just a small seed and it can grow in a very short amount of time um, with chemicals and stuff. So anyway, what I wanted to point out about this demonstration was that uh, he, at his desk, it's, he says like on my desk is um, the average amount of food that uh, the average the average person consumes in a 24 hour period. And I paused it because I wanted to, because it's 1955. I wanted to see what all was on there. And so I made a, I made a rough list of everything that's on the desk. And I, there's some things that I missed and I, and I'm not too sure about what it is, but like, uh, on, on the desk, there are two eggs, uh, three full grown carrots, uh, a grapefruit an orange, a quart of milk, a tub of what looks to be cream cheese, um, about four slices of white bread, an apple, a full head of lettuce, uh, um, an onion, I believe, and one or two full ears of corn. Also a jar of what looks like pear slices or maybe pickled mushrooms, if that's a thing. I don't even know. And then there were like three or four different like containers of meat. Um, and I mean, that I thought that was kind of funny. Um, th- there was just a lot there. Um, so... The episode itself uh, uh, has like kind of a mystery element to it. Like the it starts out with an undertaker, um, kind of kind of being delivered a, a dead body, and the the body is uh, the death certificate that was given with the body uh, states that he's in his fifties, but the muscle tone is of someone in his twenties. So this episode is all about kind of figuring out like what are these scientists doing behind closed doors and um there is kind of a time um a propulsion uh thing i guess or a kind of um countdown like the the tension of the 
the tension of the episode is that um, the doctor of the episode, uh, kind of the lead of the episode is a doctor. He goes and meets with the scientists um, and they figure out that like, okay, they have X amount of time to find out um, how to fix this nutrient thing that they've all taken um, so that they don't die. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting hook and everything. And I really um, kind of was into it. Like for the most part, like these episodes of science fiction theater and probably the reason why I'm on the fence about actually committing to a full series uh, review series of it, bonus review series of it. But, um, is that it's kind of dull. Like, it, like, even though it has that ticking clock, that propulsion, like just the episode itself is just kind of, kind of bland. It's, it's not like exciting. And I know that it's completely unfair to review these while also reviewing, uh, the twilight zone, which is obviously as stated several times, one of the greatest television shows of all time, um, to see this, like, the predecessor show one of the predecessors to that being just this kind of goofy science fiction series. I don't know, but, um, anyway, so uh, there's, there's some fun stuff in this episode, but it's overall, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's okay, but it did make me wonder, like there's a, there's a moment in the episode where it's revealed that the nutrient that they've created, um, would give, it's, it's essentially like a pill, I think, where it will give you every nutri- nutritional need that your body requires. But the kind of side effect of that is that in taking that in taking that nutrient, you can never eat regular food again. Like you can ne- like your body literally will change its chemistry in that if you were to eat any like physical food, like your body would not be able to process it and you would die. Um, so it's like, like hard and fast, like you cannot eat any food ever again if you take this pill. And I kind of wondered, like, would I do that? Like, like, like it's a hypothetical. That's interesting. Um, because I don't, I don't know. It's just interesting. Like if I had like a lifetime supply of these pills and everything, I think maybe I would, but I would also miss food. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's a hard, it's a conundrum. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> let me know what you think. Would you take a pill instead of food? Um, I'm just thinking in just in terms of practical uh, practicalities and stuff, like I can't like, if I just don't have to worry about actual food and everything, it's like, okay, I don't have to worry about cooking. I don't have to worry about feeling terrible when I order a pizza instead of making something healthy or eating something healthy or anything. Um, or... I don't have to feel like guilty about like eating a bag of Cheez-Its before recording an episode of, of a podcast at midnight, um, or 1am, uh, when I have to work in the morning. But anyway, uh, I don't know. It would be interesting just to not have that stress in my life ever again. Cause I would just have a pill that would give me everything I need. And also it'd probably be healthier. Cause like I said, you know, junk food and stuff exists and is so tempting. Um, but anyway, let me know what you guys think of this episode of anthology. Let me know what you thought of the prime mover and what you think of uh science fiction theater. If you watch this also the two kind of, um, moral kind of hypotheticals that I posited, like, uh, let me know what you would do. Would you be able to resist going for more money if you made $200,000 in a night or $1.6 million in a night by today's standards? Would you be able to cash out and just be like, no, or would you, do you think you would be consumed by the greed to 
to want to have as much as you possibly could. Also, uh, if you could take a pill instead of eating food, would you do it if it men- means you can never have food? Let me know what you think. Uh, OV Anthology Pod on Twitter, uh, Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com, Facebook.com slash, uh, slash Anthology Pod. Um, yeah, next time on the podcast, um, immediately, almost immediately after this, uh, I will post my review, uh, my bonus review of um wow what is that episode called uh the new twilight zone series oh uh six degrees of freedom um which i'm really excited to talk about i've been trying to compile my notes as i can i have a lot of notes for it so i'm really excited about that check that out on the feed after this episode uh is released um and then next time on the main feed i will talk about a long distance call uh episode 22 of twilight zone second season and my bonus review of a science fiction theater episode. I don't remember what episode is next, um, but hopefully it's a good one. Um, yeah, so that'll do it for this episode of Anthology. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you like what I do here, check out my other shows, Obsessive Viewer and Tower Junkies. And uh, if you're feeling generous, obviously you can donate to the podcast. That would be super uh, uh Super great and much appreciated. Also, Patreon exists. So, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Minimum rate of $1 per month. Get access to special RSS feed that gives you uh, bonus materials for the podcast. I haven't posted any, like, bonus anthology recordings. I don't remember if I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I haven't done that because, I don't know, it's it's a solo podcast and, like, the bonus... Uh, the exclusive content on Patreon is just me and my co-hosts on the other podcast just BSing back and forth. So anyway, it's a lot of fun. It's very entertaining. We have about eight hours, over eight hours worth of bonus content on the Patreon feed. So uh, yeah, I would say if you pay a dollar, <laughs> pay us a dollar, you're kind of really getting your money's worth there. So uh, check that out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I am going to go to bed and go to work tomorrow and hate my choices um, uh, of, of recording podcasts late at night. So thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next time. And now here's a clip from a recent episode of the obsessive viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast from obsessiveviewer.com. I don't know. No, you said, I, I know, I know she hasn't been on the show oh, in yeah, a while, right. but yeah. that's no reason to uh, <laughs> yeah. knock on her door in the middle of the night asking for her movie opinion yeah. or something like that. Which again, guys, that's no guys. Come on, yeah. leave me alone. Yeah, I, and, well, I mean, you I know, know, everyone wants to hang out with me. Harass me. I just, you know, no just, one wants to harass just, you, Matt. I just, you sorry, know, sorry. I'm look. Look, I'm harassable. I, okay? I, <laughs> I am the hero of the AMC Southern Plaza oh, 545 God. screening on May 11th of Endgame. <laughs> So I think that I'm there are going to be statues in your honor. Yes. I, think, I, I heard a uh, rumor that the mayor is going to give you a key to the city and that I, they're going to make May 11th Matt Day. I hope so. You so. know what's funny is that May 11th is actually uh, National Twilight Zone Day. That's that's it. Fun fact. Yeah. Uh, All right. So yeah, let's finish this up because I need to go home and actually record anthology episodes. Mm-hmm. So hope you guys enjoyed this uh, special bonus episode, this car special. We we got a car special going. Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to AnthologyPod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. 
If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official Anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewers Tee Public Store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewers annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at Facebook.com slash As Good As It Gets Band. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Um, kitties.